The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions from a biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Charles Roberts and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Hello and welcome to another Out of the Question podcast. This is Charles Roberts and I'm joined by my co-host, Andrea Schwartz. Hello, Andrea. Hello, Charles. We are recording this episode the Monday, the first week of October. We typically record these on Friday, uh, but for a number of different reasons, we're doing it today. And we are going to be asking a question about um, an issue that has been in the news in a significant way, and I think our listeners if they're hearing this within the reasonable proximity of the current events, they will understand uh, that um, the question of how do I know if a witness is credible has been a significant one in these past few weeks. Uh, but as, as a larger issue than anything that may be going on at the particular moment. And so I suspect, Andrea, that there are some significant things behind that question about what constitutes or what is a credible witness. What do you think? Well, first of all, let's define credibility. The root there is credo, belief. So it has to do with belief. And belief is more than just a feeling. Belief has to have a standard by which you're going to judge truth or falsity, righteousness or wickedness. And unfortunately, if you spend any amount of time on Facebook, depending on people's presuppositions or people's life experience, one person in this dispute, and we're referring to the Senate hearings in terms of the nomination of a Supreme Court justice, people are saying both witnesses are credible. And I take exception to the word credible because it's a relative thing. And while it's true that everybody interacts with people's testimony, if we don't have a standard and a procedure of justice that transcends the U.S. Senate, that transcends American thinking in 2018, and we don't go back to God's word, we're going to end up with a bunch of different answers. And the primary reason that God has given us his law is the realization of justice. And I think it's fair to say that however you want to describe the circus that's been going on in Washington, D.C., and whether you're for or against the accuser or the accused, you'd have to agree that justice doesn't seem to be high on anyone's agenda. I completely agree. I would like to, uh, before jumping back to that particular point, which is an extremely important one, I think our listeners may be interested to know my first encounter, as I recall it, with the word credible or credibility. I remember when I was in high school, and I'll fill in some details here because they're relevant to the story. I was a devoted practitioner of martial arts, of uh, Kempo Karate in particular. And in the state of South Carolina, where I grew up and where I live now, in my hometown of Columbia, back in the late 60s, there weren't a lot of karate schools. This wasn't Los Angeles or San Francisco here, so uh, it, it was still a new thing. And although I participated 
there was a, a main karate school in my hometown, and the local newspaper called that school. It was not the school that I was a member of, and said, uh, could you tell us any information about these martial arts? And the, da, 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 And they did a little article, and the owner of the school was quoted as saying that as far as he knew, his was the only karate school in the city and the whole state of South Carolina in that year. Now, that might not have been too far-fetched a concept in that time. However, it was just flat-out false. And I was just a punk teenager, and I knew it. So the newspaper at the time had this thing where you could call in and ask questions, and they would print the questions and answers. You know, they'd look up, find information for you. So I called in, and I said, you know, you had this article, and this man said this, but I happen to know that there's a school in this city and this city and this city. And I will never forget their response. They actually printed my, my uh, statement, and they, the response was, get this, we thank you for the call. There appears to be a credibility gap in our sources. <laughs> now, I, I, had, I had to look up what, the, what, what, did, what does that mean? And I finally realized they were saying the guy was being dishonest. And uh, that, that is a way that many people, I think, correctly understand credibility or being credible. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 10, verse 9, uh, God's word says, He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known. Another way of saying that is that he who walks uprightly or who, he who walks purely walks securely. And I think the term credibility could just as easily be put in there in that, uh, that phrase as, an, as a similar or equal meaning. And since we agree that there are no such things as brute facts, that facts have the need to be interpreted and they're going to be interpreted according to presuppositions, then if you're going to examine somebody's claim as being true or false, you have to go beyond, we just want the facts, ma'am, and nothing but the facts, because all facts have a context and all facts have a reference point. And so I think when a lot of people will say, you know, I think this person's testimony was credible, or I think this person's testimony was credible, I think what a better word would be plausible. I could see how that would happen. But to say you believe it when you don't have all the information and on top of it all, you're not even called to be the judge, I think we are losing the fact that we are very easily influenced by our culture and the propaganda that has, and we, we've talked about this before, that is so much a part of life that I don't think most people could survive without it. I think they go to it like they go to water because what they're looking for are people to confirm their own biases. So if, if you think that all men are terrible and you can't ever trust them, then you'll believe the woman. If you think women lie and they do it for all sorts of reasons, then you're going to believe the man. And that's called confirmation bias, and we've got to not go there because the standard we're supposed to repair to is what does God's law say in terms of accusations, in terms of witnesses, in terms of slander, in terms of perjury, and in terms of judges? One of the great contributions of Dr. Rushtuni to the study of our faith, of living life in general, was his constantly pointing out to us that God's word enjoins us to govern ourselves according to the standards of God's law. That is the foundation of credibility and integrity in every other aspect of life. 
And so if we have individuals who are not governing themselves according to God's standards of credibility and integrity and righteousness and justice and truthfulness, then that is going to have a poisonous effect in the family, in the church, and the state. And getting back to that little illustration I used, uh, I think it's not too far wrong to say that almost all politics in Washington, D.C. could not operate without uh, using the credibility gap. They all operate that way. I, I was watching uh, a discussion on a local news channel uh, about this very topic that we're, uh, as far as the, the Supreme Court justice nominee. And as we talk about this, there is a, a key Republican senator from a Southwest state, that's as much as I'll say about it, who was having a discussion, uh, a news conference, and he was saying this and that and the other. And then the news commentators, after it was done, were talking about this man. And one of them made this statement. One of the commentators said, well, you know, uh, Senator so-and-so, since he's not coming up for re-election, since he's not standing for re-election, he's more free to speak his mind instead of playing to his base or the party line. So in other words, he's lying. He's built his career on licking his finger and sticking it up in the air to see which way the wind is blowing. And, you know, you hear the similar thing in, uh, during campaigns. He's appealing to his conservative base. She's appealing to the liberal base. He's, he's moving more toward the center. What does this mean except there's a, a complete lack of integrity or credibility in the way these people discharge their duties? Exactly. So if you think justice is what everybody's going for, then you're mistaken because that's not what it's about. Going back to whether somebody is a credible witness, in a culture that consumes huge amounts of media, whether movies or television, we have people who are lying all the time. There is no Spider-Man. There is no Batman. But I believe that was a, great, that was a credible performance. So we have actors who make a living Literally, being people they're not, saying things that aren't really coming out of their mouth in terms of origin that somebody wrote for them. So how can our culture, aside from what seems to go along with what we've seen in the media, even begin to know credibility? We give awards to actors for credible performances for people and situations they were never really in. I remember many years ago, as I'm sure you do, the Watergate scandal, and uh, the and and people who hear this who have no concept of what we're talking about, you can uh, you can Google it. Uh, the the missing 18 seconds on the tape from President Nixon's secretary, and I remember hearing a uh, a political comedian back back in those days. You don't see it so much anymore, I guess, or maybe if if they're there, I don't pay any attention to them. But there were several well-known comedians who plied their trade being able to almost perfectly replicate the mannerisms and voice of certain well-known figures. And this one particular comedian, uh, he could do a, a Richard Nixon voice and face like no one. And in doing one of these skits, uh, he was playing Nixon, and he was asked, well, sir, did, did you say so-and-so or such-and-such? And I'm not going to try to do the Nixon voice. But the response was, well, did you record it? And he said, no, sir, I didn't. Well, then I didn't say it. You know, that that's the way people operate now. And like you said, built into just about every aspect of our society is a, a level of falsehood or unreality that is premised on a lack of credibility and integrity. Uh, and in terms of these witnesses and the things that are going on right now and the claims of this happened or this didn't happen, 
You know, I like um, something that I remember hearing R.C. Sproul talk about many years ago, and that's the distinction between something being possible and something being probable. Uh, there's a big difference. You know, is it possible that so-and-so went to a party and danced with a lamp lampshade on his head? Yeah, it's possible. But the question is, is it probable? And that, that can come up with a totally different answer. Right. Unless we think that the Bible doesn't discuss the credibility of witnesses with historical accounts, quite apart from Potiphar's wife being a liar, how about the fact that Jacob believed 10 of his sons that Joseph had been killed by a wild beast and they produced evidence? And guess what? He believed them and would have gone to his grave believing them except God intervened. So they were credible witnesses by today's definition, but they were liars. And that is a perfect example of the breakdown, even as far back as that incident, of people not, not governing themselves according to God's law. And even something not quite as expansive or grandiose as that, where you have so many people participating in this conspiracy and this cover-up, um, you know, the testimony of two witnesses are required, according to God's standards, to uh, bring uh, adequate charges or convict someone of a particular type of infraction of the law. But that system just doesn't work if there is deception and lying, and eventually it, uh, it corrupts all of society. I'm reminded uh, of something that I read, uh, let's see, I believe it was John Adams, our second president, uh, and I'm going to quote him here. I just happen to have this quote handy. He said, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. This quote that I'm about to share, actually I didn't hear until yesterday when I was listening to Martin Selbredi talk on his weekly Q&As, but when we think that people are bringing testimony and that the people who are supposed to adjudicate will respond in an unbiased, objective way. The quote he had from Upton Sinclair was, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it. <laughs> yeah, that is marvelous. You know, so we could translate that to a politician if his, you know, he has to put his finger up and see which way the wind is blowing to know if he's going to cost himself reelection. So at the very base, forget about whether or not these two, the accused or the accuser or credible, the judges there, the, the judiciary committee are not credible. These are people who have a hard time understanding that murder is wrong. And we're asking them to adjudicate whether or not something took place. And I'm not saying it did or it didn't. I don't know. But I can tell you one thing. Any mother who is listening knows how to interrogate to find out whether or not her children are lying. You don't do it by having them separate. You put them both in the same room and you ask questions. Okay, well, okay, he cut you with the scissors. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't do anything to him. Well, he was poking the pencil at me, and he was writing all over it. You see, yeah, we don't want our kid to use the scissors, but if he was provoking someone else, that has to be part of the narrative. Take a look at what Solomon had to do. My guess is 
The people under him thought that both those harlots were credible witnesses. They didn't know whose baby it was, and they didn't know whose baby had died. So what did Solomon do? He started asking what I would call mommy questions. Oh, okay, let's find out what happened here. Okay, I know how to settle it. We're going to cut this baby in two. One said, no, no, you can't do that, because she knew that was her baby. She was, and the other one said, yeah, that's what you should do. So that's how he figured it out. Well, I found out a lot of lies based on those kinds of questions. And it seems pretty ridiculous to me that it could have gotten this far. It had gotten last week with these hearings that people couldn't adjudicate. Is there anything to corroborate testimony? And that goes back to, do we even understand the requirement of two to three witnesses? Or do we think an accusation is enough? Yeah, I recall um, seeing some discussion uh, about this uh, very thing, and um, Judge Andrew Napolitano, uh, who is a man whose opinion I respect on many things, long before these, uh, this show trial and circus began taking place, pointed out that maybe the current nominee is not the best person for the job, but it has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on. And I think that's part of the, the another part of the tragedy of the dishonesty and the and the silliness of this whole thing is that the, the drama takes attention completely away from some of the other issues. In this particular case, to speak directly to it, um, Judge Napolitano pointed out that there were two or three other names that had originally been given to the president to consider in replacing Justice Kennedy, and that at least from his standpoint, they were far better candidates from a constitutional standpoint. But you know, e even for people who might have been concerned about that, they are now completely not thinking about that in, in light of this uh, withering, blistering attack on this man, who, uh, by all intents and purposes, appears to be uh, credible. And uh, it, it's, you know, th there are certain aspects of it, again, to get into the details. Um, and this has been pointed out many times in the broadcasts of, on TV and everything, that if you've got something that is so damning or of such central importance, you don't sit on it for a month. You know, you, you or I mean, okay, maybe the fact that this information about this man was not revealed until the day they were supposed to vote, that doesn't necessarily mean it's false. But it does call into the question the credibility of the people who are producing the evidence at that point. So, again, there's so many complications to this in terms of the breakdown of credibility, the, the breakdown of honesty and the concept of, of justice and the standard by which we are going to discharge this most vital and important part of life, politics and government. We are so far away from let your yes be yes and your no be no that we expect people to lie. And the response you had from the, the newspaper that we have a credibility gap, yeah, they printed your letter, but I don't think anybody went back or was likely to go back and say, you reported a falsehood for us, and therefore, we're going to put this on the front page. Most times when there are retractions, they're buried in the back of a publication as opposed to, we misrepresented something. And people may wonder, regardless of where they fall out on either side of the current debacle or, or controversy, you know, how, how really important is this? I mean, we've been going along fine. This, this, you know, the stock market is high and you know, all the rest of it. But if people would be very diligent and observing and seeing what is actually going on in our culture and our society, 
this is but a symptom of larger, uh, greater concerns. And I'm going to quote another politician or government leader, Robert Winthrop, who was Speaker of the U.S. House. He said, and I quote him, men, in a word, must necessarily be controlled either by a power within them or by a power without them, either by the word of God or by the strong arm of man, either by the Bible or by the bayonet. Let that sink in, listeners, because uh, this is where we are and this is where we're headed. Uh, If people will not govern themselves according to God's standard, according to God's law, they will be governed by those outside them, and it always leads to tyranny and a breakdown in freedom. And I'm sad to say that there are a lot of people who would love to see a revolution take place as opposed to let's discuss ideas. So they count on polarization. I make a habit of listening to different newscasts just to see how one group will report an event and another group. And they're always 180. We won. They lost. Oh, no. Then this group will say, the evidence clearly showed we were right and they were wrong. And so all they do is count on the fact that people will go to the news source that agrees with them and solidify their view. Right. And so not only do you have that confirmation bias, but you get people worked up because you see they're getting their information from one slant. And now when the whole world seems not to agree with them, they're going, wait a minute, didn't you see the news? <laughs> Except not everybody is watching the same news they are watching. And this is the danger we find in a technological society. There's nothing in itself bad or good about technology, but there is something going to be bad or good about the people who produce it and use it for a particular end. Uh, There's no neutral technology in the hands of man. And so the situation that you just described, where everybody can resort to their own version of the truth, again, this is a, a prescription for tyranny and a completely degraded society at least one that bears any resemblance to what uh, these United States were originally supposed to be about. And when you have that kind of situation, it, uh, it raises the issue of somebody said that many of our leaders apparently were reading 1984 as a, as a manual as opposed to a, a dystopian view of the future in fiction. Now, in terms of believability and effectiveness, I think both sides didn't like the woman who was basically interrogating the witness, and I thought she did a fabulous job. She wasn't trying to be the theatrical lawyer or prosecutor you see in television or movies. She went about asking questions and clarifying answers and let the person speak for herself rather than attempt to put words in her mouth and do the drama that we see. And so of the whole thing, I was most impressed with her, only in as much as she did her job and she wasn't trying to make the woman look stupid, feel uncomfortable or whatever. Um, she's, she was a great lesson in how to make someone feel comfortable answering your questions as opposed to playing to a constituency, which apparently she doesn't have one. Well, again, it comes down to the, uh, the issue of not having uh, a standard of credibility that governs all involved. You know, we can look back at a time in our culture and our society where there, there have always been people who did not put a premium on credibility by any standard. There have always, there have always been blaggards and uh, people who are dishonest thugs and thieves and 
dishonest people in government and in in religion and religious institutions and things of that nature. But there was no doubt in anybody's mind that officially, publicly, this was a shameful and bad thing. Uh, And and people who plied these kind of trades and these kind of activities did so in the dark of night on the wrong side of town and this sort sort of thing. But now it's all become mainstream. And this this all just plays into the larger degradation of our culture. Uh, I remember 30 years ago or so, uh, there used to be these uh, programs on late afternoon television that um, by uh, an old earlier time, they were called yellow journalism. You know, the, these uh, scurrilous and lurid stories about stars and politicians and people. And, uh, and everybody knew that this, this was just sort of the stuff that came on at 530 before the, quote, real news came on. You have sort of the people who read the tabloids at the checkout in the grocery store, you know, uh, woman gives birth to Martian baby, that kind of stuff. But now this is mainstream. This is, this is what we are being fed day in and day out. And so the consequence is that people, their minds uh, are are being polluted with entertainment and silly stories and nonsense and these kind of dramatic things. And nobody has the capability apparently to ask the serious questions and be concerned about the, uh, the really top-shelf issues by which a just and moral society, according to God's law, is governed. And I think there is a positive takeaway for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Instructing young boys that what you don't think that what you do when you're 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 doesn't matter, because it does. God says at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, everything will be brought out into the open. So if you think you're safe because nobody saw whatever you did or there's nobody who's going to be believed, understand that God uncovers all such things. Whether it happens here in time or eternity, it will be known. So maybe parents should spend a lot of time going through the book of Proverbs with young men and pointing out all the warnings against going in a direction that could bring about accusations that you can't refute. By the same token, if you're going to take the allegations that this woman made and other people made as true, and say, if they say it's true, let's give them that, then we need to be teaching our girls how not to be in situations where they're going to be vulnerable and taken advantage of. And too often, you have these polarizing views that young ladies, and I've heard them say it to me, it shouldn't matter how I dress. It shouldn't matter what I wear. That doesn't give somebody the right to assault me. And you know what? By God's word, that's true. But if you're going to live life and forget about sin and realize that, it's prevalent, and you don't protect yourself and don't make use of the God-ordained ways being under the protection of your father and your family or your husband, and not deciding that you can go anywhere at any time and dress any way you want, and that you're not going to attract those who wish to do evil. So in that case, you might have the evil and the stupid. Okay, Which one do you want to be? Well, I don't want to be the evil person, but I don't want to be the stupid one either. I I used to tell my daughters that if you had a lot of money and you had $100 bills and you somehow or other paper clipped them to your clothes and you walked through the mall 
first of all, do you think that's wise? No, somebody could take those $100 bills, but they shouldn't. I mean, they shouldn't take those bills, but they might, so I won't do that. Well, why don't they value themselves the same way to realize that there may be people who decide that they could take things that aren't theirs? So if we try to divorce the reality and the context of sin, and we try to divorce it from God actually tells us how we're supposed to live our life, all we're going to do is to continue to have polarization and never have resolution. And what you're describing is one aspect of where the issue of credibility, rightly understood from the biblical perspective, can be applied in one area of a person's life. And I would challenge our listeners to take this very seriously. And perhaps as a, as a spiritual exercise, every morning that you get up, uh, ask yourself in terms of the events that you'll be engaged in, from fixing your breakfast to driving to work, to school, to visit friends, whatever it may be, uh, you, you will be engaging in various actions and transactions and just ask yourself, in all of these things that I'll be doing, where does, where does credibility show up? How, does credi how, how am I being credible in each of these activities? Because there may be a surprise that everything we do in life is affected by credibility or a lack thereof. I can think of uh, occasions where, uh, as a pastor, I have been involved in counseling uh, situations, and probably the most frustrating of these in, this, in terms of this issue of credibility are dealing with marital uh, counseling issues where there are problems in a marriage. And I can sit down, and I, or I have sat down with a husband and a wife in dealing with an issue, and talking to them either together or separately, I will get 180-degree opposite accounts and descriptions of a particular problem. And I, I, I would have to go out of the room for a minute and ask myself, are these people living in the same house? How, <laughs> right. how, how can people, assuming that neither of them consider themselves pathological liars, how can people come up with such dramatically different understandings about this particular incident or that particular thing? So in, in that case, that's bringing credibility to the marriage, bringing credibility to how you use your time, bringing credibility to uh, the type of entertainment, the type of news, uh, the issues of government and politics and education, medicine, all the things that uh, um, God's law speaks to. And I think sometimes people can, especially in the case you mentioned about very different accounts of the problem or a situation, I think people can repeat a narrative to themselves so much and so often that it becomes what happened or it becomes what's true as opposed to their reaction or their interpretation to events because everybody thinks, hey, this is what happened. And, and I had a situation once where I learned how easy it is to fool yourself. It's kind of a funny story. My family and I were down in Carmel at the beach there. And there was a period of time where Clint Eastwood was the mayor of Carmel. Oh, yes, yes. And my husband and son, and I think my older daughter, went for a walk. And I stayed back with my sister and the baby because I wasn't going to carry the baby on this walk and somebody had to stay with the stuff. And I was getting irritated with the fact that they were taking so long and didn't come back. And so I said, you know what? When they come back, let's tell them that Clint Eastwood walked by and talked with us. And we talked to Clint Eastwood, and they didn't. And so we constructed a narrative. 
about how he patted the baby on the head. And then he basically, we just made enough little details that it sort of was plausible. And my husband and the kids believed him. Well, you know, when I think back on that story, I see Clint Eastwood there. Now, he was never there. <laughs> but we had constructed this narrative to make it believable, and we worked on our story. So let's not forget that people can convince themselves of things. Now, I know Clint Eastwood wasn't there, but it's funny how when I tell the story, I, I see him there, right? So we have to make sure that we are not just confirming, as I said early, our own bias. In other words, that look that my husband gave me must have meant that he thinks I'm a terrible cook when in actual fact he just stubbed his toe and I didn't see it, right? <laughs> so we can have the narrative that he's always criticizing me because I saw that look on his face, and that's not at all what's going on. Along the same lines, I remember um, when I was in seminary, uh, I lived in the city of Philadelphia, and uh, I remember hearing a, a pastor of a, a very large Reformed church in that area who was involved in a particular ministry that uh, occasionally had him going around Center City, Philadelphia, where there were parts like any big city, um, maybe nothing on the scale that we know of today and some places out there where you live, uh, encountering homeless people. And he, um, th this was sort of a challenge if you were walking around different parts of the city. And he said that he was walking down the sidewalk and he saw this guy who would fit the description of someone being homeless headed his way. And he said, you know, I, I, and this man's a pastor, right? And he said, I really just didn't want to have to deal with it. So um, I crossed the street to the other side of the sidewalk and continued my walk. And lo and behold, the homeless guy crossed as well and approached him. And of course, he really didn't want to talk to the guy, but the guy asked him for some money. And while he said, okay, you know, begrudgingly, I'm going to give him a dollar, whatever, whatever the exchange was. At one point, this homeless man looked at him and said, you know, mister, I haven't always been this way. And he said, and this is a pastor telling the story. I have no reason to believe it wasn't true. He said, the man pulled out a wallet and had a military ID, an expired one. This man had been like a, a staff psychiatrist and was a v, had been in Vietnam. And here he was homeless. So that's another example of biases where you see someone and you think you know the whole story. You think you formed an opinion about something. And it goes right back to what you were talking about earlier with the, uh, the current, uh, you know, uh, trial and uh, nominee circus that we see. Uh, people who are biased in one way, you know, they hear the voice of the uh, assaulted women uh, the people who are biased in the other way, they see the victimized, you know, deeply conservative and committed man, family man, devout Catholic, and all the rest of it. So where, where is the truth in all that? Where, where is the, the standard of credibility to be used uh, to, to make uh, a judgment about these things? And this is where I would direct people to really spend some time, and I'll put a link up when I post this podcast, to Rush Dooney's treatment of the Ninth Commandment, in the Institutes of Biblical Law. He devoted 21 chapters in this section to cover all facets of thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And there happened to be 21 corresponding lectures. So if you're a reader, you can read them. If you're a listener, you can listen to them. But he goes into great detail about the witness and 
the witness of the false prophet and Jesus Christ as the true witness. And I really invite people to go through this section. If you haven't read up until that part, it will still make plenty of sense. So it's not like, well, I haven't read the first part of the book. And you'll get a sense on how God institutes the whole idea of getting to the truth of things and not. And if you remember, the spies went to uh, Jericho to kind of size things up, but there were only two that came back as true witnesses. The others, you say, well, they saw the same thing, but we must, like Joshua and Caleb, look at life through the eyes of Scripture, through the eyes of faith, not by the giants in the land. And so I I really recommend that this is an excellent resource to just give you the program on how to evaluate the things that you saw last week and you've seen before and you're likely to see again in the future. And as we wrap this up, uh, which uh, we hope that this has been helpful to our our contemporary listeners and any who may hear it uh, sometime later, uh, I would also like to recommend a resource by Dr. Rushduni. And this one, I guess I would call um, uh, uh, less formal, uh, not to in any way downplay uh, the Institutes of Biblical Law. It, it, it is a, a significantly important work that everyone ought to be reading and studying as you have recommended it. However, there's another resource that the Chalcedon Foundation has published, a collection of Dr. Rushduni's uh, weekly radio messages from many years ago. And I want to recommend his uh, Good Morning Friends Volume 2, a uh, collection of those radio messages. And just about every little chapter in this book uh, deals with some aspect of the larger issue of integrity and honesty. He, he's got a series of lectures, How to Live with Yourself, Parts 1 through 10, The Road to Peace. Um, he, he has a little discussion of each of the points of the uh, the Beatitudes and a really interesting section, uh, five-part section called How to Be a Failure. So in these, in a roundabout way and in a direct way, he's talking about this, this issue in an informal way uh, of integrity. And we would like to really encourage our listeners to take advantage of the absolutely marvelous resources on the calcedon.edu website, where, as Andrea said, you can read these materials, you can order them, you can listen to the lectures, uh, and this is all there for your edification and for your project of governing yourself according to God's standard. And the upside of spending your time on the real and the genuine has to do with then being able to spot when you see that you're seeing people who are not interested in the real. They're not interested in righteousness or justice. And and remember, it isn't against liberals and conservatives, Republicans and Democrats. That's not what we're supposed to be about. We're supposed to be about thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we don't care what man says. We care what God says. And our job as Christians is to press the crown rights of Jesus Christ unashamedly and being able to give a real answer to the debacles that we see happening in the culture and in politics. And on that very good note, we will wrap up our podcast by thanking our listeners for tuning in once again. Would you tell our listeners again how they can reach out to us by email, Andrea? It's easy. Out of the question podcast at gmail.com. 
And Charles and I really like it when people give us their feedback. You know, they don't have to agree with us on all points, but if there are topics that you think would merit delving into, we are always open to suggestions. And so we thank those who have told us that they listen and they look forward to hearing future ones. So until our next podcast, we will bid our listeners farewell. Thank you, Andrea. Next time, Charles. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, visit kingdomdrivenfamily.com. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.